Uh, I um, have on my iPad and my iPod Touch and at read.amazon.com uh, an ESV version of the Bible with, um, with footnotes on it. And for any of you who have uh, a Kindle or a Kindle app or anything like that, you know that's just an amazing thing. You can read the whole book. You can scroll ahead. You can search in the book for anything you want. You can dog ear. You can highlight. And, and one of the things that you can also do is you can look and see what portions of the book you're reading other people have highlighted as well. And so if you go to the ESV version, uh, the, the Kindle app uh, for that, you go to the ESV with the, the, um, the, the footnotes cross-references. I looked up this week what were the most popular highlights in the Bible. And in the top ten, the top one occurred some 2,100 times. And by the time you get down to ten, you got about 980 times. I forget. 989. So about 1,000 and 2,000 people have highlighted these particular uh, verses. Now, it's not scientific in any way, but it is influential. I think you'll know a lot of these verses. Okay, so, so have at it. And this is, this is like maybe Family Feud a little bit. And I'm Richard Dawkins, right? Richard, no, Richard, Richard. Lawson, Richard Lawson, and I've got top ten list, okay? John 3.16 comes in number two. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. 1,600, 72 times. Okay, someone else? 1 Peter 5.7. Great guess. Not, not here, though. That's a great, that's a great one. Philippians, you're stealing my thunder, okay? Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Top rated verse in all of, of the things. So we, we will get to that. What were maybe some others? I was hoping that that would be like the last. Oh, you didn't think it was on here. Here, this is one. What, which one? Romans 8, 28 comes in number 5. Hebrews 11, verse Oh, verse 1 comes in number 10, 989 times. So, Philippians 4.13 comes in number 3. Psalm 21 is a good one, but not there. What? Nope, not Psalm 23. John 14.6 a good one, but that's not here either. Good guesses. Ephesians 2.8.9 comes in at number 8, 1,273. So I'm looking, i got four left. See if we can get them. I'll just give you a little. These are good verses you're hanging out here. Second, no, nothing Second Peter. It's a great guess. How about this? I'll give you start some hints. How about one from Proverbs? What's the most famous in Proverbs? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. And that one came in number 4. How about another one in Romans 8? Verse... Not 3. Very last two verses. 38 and 39. I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ. And... Two more. One is in Jeremiah. Not 17.9. It's a good guess. 29.11, which says, I have great plans for you, right? Okay. And one last one. This, this is good. This one will, will segue right into my message. This is fine. Okay. The last one. No. Nope. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. 
Last one. Okay, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew, not 7, 1, not do not judge, not Matthew 5. So it's in Matthew 6 someplace. Matthew 6, verse... Am I singing that bad? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And then adds... Let's see if I got it. I don't have that one quite memorized. Do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. Matthew 6, 33 and 34. So three observations. First of all, Philippians chapter 4 is top of the list. Verses 6 and 7. Just right where we're going to be looking at today. It means that there's, there's something about the words of our text this morning that that touch people in, in a special way that would lead them to highlight this verse. In fact, how many of you, this is just, how many of you have memorized this verse of Scripture? Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Raise your hand again. Adam, Adam. We're less than I thought. Maybe a third of you are there. Um, I remember memorizing this my senior year in college. Uh, there was a freshman student coming in. He was a Christian, got a hold of some uh, Navigator verse packets and said, hey, you want to memorize these verses? And so we did uh, Sunday mornings before we went to church. We just went through what verses we had memorized. And they were part of this pack of maybe 50 verses. I forget. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. That's when I memorized it. But if it's the top interest of highlighting, I think it's got a message for us today. I just want to make a two, couple other observations. Uh, a second... Two of the top three verses are right here in Philippians 4. So it says that Philippians 4 has such a way that, that people you know, are, are just, just find strength and help right here in Philippians 4. In fact, I, I found on the internet also, which is what, what led me here, someone also said that Philippians 4, 8, Philippians 4, I think it was maybe verse 19, used to be in the top ten. It's not there anymore. So maybe even three verses... Another observation, there are several texts here that talk just about the sovereignty of God and what a bastion they are. Those two texts in Romans 8, 28, Romans 8, 38 through 39, and Jeremiah 29 just speaks about God's plans for us. And it's a plans for good and it's a sovereign plan. Just We find comfort in the sovereignty of God. Thirdly, my last, fourthly, my last observation, two of these verses have to do with worry. The, the one at the top of the list, and then that one I quoted for you already, Matthew 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Now, if you know that that's in the part of Sermon on the Mount where Jesus has given His whole, um, his whole discourse about, look at the lilies of the field. They don't toil or spin, but the Father clothes them better than Solomon. And look at the birds of the air. Right? They don't plant or harvest, but your heavenly Father cares for them. Shall I not care for you much more? And in fact, four times in a series of about ten verses, Jesus says, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. Culminating right here in verse 34, do not worry about tomorrow. So obviously my, my, my question that, that I raised in my mind was, why are two of the top ten highlighted verses about worry? Well, I think it's because we're all susceptible to worry. Uh, Jerry Bridges entitles worry and anxiety one of his respectable sins, one of the sins that all of us have. And we all know how easy it is to worry. 
And so my question comes to this as I, as I look through the scripture, I hope it's your question too. Why would Paul feel the need to include this verse about worry here in this epistle? And this week I looked for a particular reason why Paul would have placed these words here. And, and they certainly those in Philippi had much to worry about. Life back then was filled with major uncertainties. Life expectancy was a lot shorter back then. Um, accidents could kill you. Illnesses could kill you. In fact, if many of us were living back then, we could have illnesses that we treat today were not treated back then. Um, insurance, didn't have insurance, didn't have Social Security, no government to fall back on in case of disaster. No big fire departments to put out your, your house. A lot of unsafety. I think many people lived hand to mouth, living whatever they earned that day. Travel was dangerous. If the police presence was a lot less, you traveled out the roads, you're susceptible to robbers and thieves, whatever's there. And if you're in danger, no cell phone to call up somebody. They had lots of uncertainties and anxieties. But as much as they had, I couldn't find anything in Philippians that especially attuned me to say, well, this would be helpful especially for them. And so, I just think about us. And how our, our tendency is to worry and just think that Paul brought this up because it's so common to the human condition that it's applicable all the time. I know that when I, I remember preaching um, uh, Matthew chapter 6 when we preached through Matthew some 10 years ago. And just after that message, had several people come up and just respond. I remember preaching 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, which Adriana mentioned. Casting all your cares upon Him because He cares for you. And, and people just responded to that. There's something about worry and anxiety that touches all of our heart. We all have a tendency to, to worry. And, and these words, I trust, will help us today. My message this morning is entitled, Battling Anxiety. Because this, this gives you a battle plan of how it is you might battle anxiety. Let's, let's read our text together. If you haven't opened there already, we're in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The passage has two commands and a promise. Thus, we'll have three points in my outline this morning. The first one, I trust you can see it right there, verse 8. Do not be anxious. Don't be anxious. As the Scripture says, be anxious for nothing. Now again, we see here, like verse 4, it's one of those absolute commands with a a, a total word connected on it. Like, remember back in in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That is, we ought to always be rejoicing. Anything less is sin. And so likewise here, verse 6 says, be anxious for nothing. There's no wiggle room here. Anxiety about anything is sin. Just like not rejoicing about everything is sin, so also anxiety about anything here is sin. Now, at at this point, we need to be, be careful a bit. Because there's room for a healthy concern for other people. Which is not sin, but really is love. I mean, for instance, turn back to chapter 2, verse 20. If you look back there, Paul is talking about Timothy. Just a, a kindred spirit that he has. He says, I have a, no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Or you might see, say, who will genuinely be anxious 
for your welfare. It's the same word, merimnao. It just, just means that you're concerned. Now, verse 20 is certainly not a sin on Timothy's part. I would argue that that's love. To have this anxiety for someone else, if you will. But that's why it's not transient anxiety, because we place anxiety as this care and concern in the sin category. But there is this anxiety, care and concern in the, the love category, which is exactly what we see here. Timothy's care and concern came from his heart and compassion for those in Philippi. And, and there's several times this Greek word, uh, my guess is used maybe 15 times in the New Testament. Half those times are good. Half those times are, are sinful. First, Second Corinthians 11.28, Paul used it, described his care and concern for the church. How he had the church on his heart. And in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 32 and 34, through 34, Paul used it, described how a, a single person is not concerned about his or her spouse. Because he doesn't have a spouse. So he's not concerned. So he can be concerned about the things of the Lord. But a married person is concerned about the ways of a spouse. Now, a married a husband or wife's concern for his or her husband or wife, that's not a, that's not a sinful thing. That's love to have a, a care and concern in that way. So this, this word anxiety can all come under the banner of love when it's directed appropriately to the Lord or to, the spouse, to a spouse or to the brethren. In fact, such care and concern is only right. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 25, that 12, 25, that there be no division among the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. There it is, the, the care that they have for one another. We are all commanded to have this this care and concern. And such care and concern is not wrong. It's commanded. But, as you all know, as soon as I say worry or anxiety, you all know that there is this bad concern and care and thought that you might have. And that's what Paul's talking about here in chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. That's a sinful anxiety. Let, let, let me help to describe what it is. That's the over-concern for something that leads you to unease. It's off, it's in the future, something that hasn't happened yet that you are, you're so impacted by that maybe you, you lose sleep at night. Maybe it leads you to some type of distress. Clammy palms. Dry mouths, right? The anxiety here is, is, it's thoughts that would lead you away from devotion to the Lord. I, I do not think it's an accident that following this, Paul follows up with the mind in verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things, right? Whatever is good and profitable and right, dwell on those things, not on the things that cause anxiety. Because if you think about it, anxiety is all a sin of the mind. It's worry over the wrong things. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Do not be worried about your life, about what you will eat and drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Well, why shouldn't we worry about these things, Jesus? Because He says you have a heavenly Father who cares for you. Matthew 6.30 But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? God knows about the sparrow falling from the tree. Will He not care for you? God clothes the fowl of the field. More than Solomon, will He not care for you? Now, it's no accident, I believe, that Paul 
precedes these words in our text with a statement of the care of God in our lives. Verse five, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Here it is. The Lord is near. Now, I spoke last week that that might mean mean near in terms of soon coming back or it might just mean near in terms of presence. Remember when Jesus gave the final commission, all authority in heaven has been given to me in heaven on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that commanded you. And then he says in verse 20, Matthew 28, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that may be in the sense here, but, but God's presence among us. And God's presence means His, His care for us. God is near us. And when Peter addressed anxiety, that's how he said it, right? Cast all your anxiety upon Him. Why? Because He, he cares for you. God cares for us. He's ready to help our every need. In fact, that is... The fundamental thought of the gospel is that we don't have a God far off who's in it for himself. He is a God who loves us. So I quoted John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God cares for us so much so that he causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. He protects us and guides us and guards us as we talked about in prayer meeting this morning. Psalm 139, verse 5. He encloses us around and within. That's God's care for us. And what He does in the Gospel, we quoted this earlier, is by grace you're saved through faith, that not of yourselves, the gift of God, and as a result of the works that no one should boast, is that God takes us and He cares for us. He grabs us and He saves us by His grace. That's His care. So don't be anxious. Well, there's, there's just the command, but you know, let me just reason with you for a little bit why you shouldn't be anxious. You know, anxiety accomplishes nothing. You realize that? It accomplishes nothing, as Jesus said. Which of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And by anybody saying, you know, you can worry all about your longevity, how you're going along you live, but by your worry, you cannot increase your life. A single hour. Because God has said, Psalm 139, the days I have ordained for you are set. Before there was even one of them. It's His care and concern. Someone said that the worry is like a rocking chair. There's a lot of movement, right? It may occupy your mind, but you're going nowhere. That's why Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Anxiety distorts reality. The Swedish proverb says this, worry gives small things a big shadow. Listen to how Jay Adams put it in a little pamphlet that he has, worry. What do I do when I worry all the time? He said this, worry is concern over the future. Worry is concern about something that one can do nothing about and that he cannot even be sure about. One who worries looks off into the future, but the future is not here yet. And there's nothing to lay a hand on, and there's nothing that can be done. The worrier cannot control it. He does not even know what it will look like. And no one but God knows its true shape. First he imagines that matters would be this way, and then he thinks that they uh, might be that way. And because he cannot know, he allows it to tear him apart. Worrying about the future. Anxiety causes physical problems. One medical website, WebND. You can just look at WebMD, right? look up anxiety, here's what it says. 
Chronic worry and emotional stress can trigger a host of health problems. The problem occurs when a fight or flight is triggered daily by excessive worrying and anxiety. The fight or flight response causes the body's sympathetic nervous system to release stress hormones such as cortisol. And these hormones can boost blood sugar levels and triglycerides, that's the blood fats, SR knows all about that. You can ask him that because he was taking that in biology. That you may be used for body or fuel. And the hormones can cause physical reactions such as this. All caused by worry. You ready? Listen to the list. Difficulty swallowing. Dizziness. Dry mouth. Fast heartbeat. Fatigue. Headaches. Inability to concentrate. Irritability. Muscle aches. Muscle tension. Nausea. Nervous energy. Rapid breathing. Shortness of breath. Sweating. Trembling. And twitching. And when the excessive fuel of the blood isn't used for physical activities, the chronic anxiety and outpouring of the stress hormones can have serious physical consequences, including suppression of the immune system, digestive disorders, muscle tension, short-term memory loss, premature coronary artery disease, heart attack. It says if excessive worrying and high anxiety go untreated, they can lead to depression and even suicidal thoughts. So let me just reason with you. Worry... First of all, can't change anything. It's totally useless and may affect you negatively physically. I think you all know what I'm talking about. In fact, it, it was interesting that, um, that D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous preacher in the uh, early 1900s, was a physician. And then he gave that up to be a doctor in large part because he saw so many of the illnesses and maladies that people came in with were, were driven by their mind and their sin. Just the physical effect of what happens on our bodies. Now, listen, that's not everything, but our minds and our worry and anxiety can cause tremendous stress and physical effects. So, if you want to live healthier and happier, don't worry. Well, anxiety not only can lead to physical problems, it can also lead to spiritual problems. The spiritual problems we call sin. John Piper writes this, Anxiety about finances can give rise to coveting and greed and hoarding and stealing. Anxiety about succeeding at some task can make you irritable and abrupt and surly. Anxiety about relationships can make you withdrawn and indifferent and uncaring about other people. Anxiety about how someone will respond to you can make you cover over the truth and lie about things. So if anxiety could be conquered, a mortal blow would be struck to so many other sins. In other words, anxiety is often the root of other things. So let's, let's strike sin at its root. Don't be anxious. You say, well, how? Glad you asked. Because we have the solution to the problem. It's in the second part of verse 6. The command comes in 6a. The solution comes in 6b. Be anxious for nothing, but... There's the contrast. On the one hand, don't be anxious. On the other hand, here's what we ought to do. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. There it is. The cure for anxiety, it is... What would you say? One word? Prayer. It's prayer. If you go to a doctor with a fever, a fever, he might prescribe you Tylenol. Great fever reducer. If you go to a doctor with sore muscles or maybe inflammation or swelling, he may subscribe, prescribe to you Advil. And if you go to the doctor and you've got an infection, he may prescribe for you penicillin. Well, if you come to God with anxiety... What's he going to prescribe for you? Prayer. And again, in this verse, this phrase, we see one of those all-inclusive words. 
But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That means there's no wiggle room here. Wherever there is anxiety, the cure is prayer and prayer for everything. In fact, in anything, in everything, in all your anxiety, just pray to God. There's not anything you're anxious about that is not worthy to come before the King of Kings. I trust you know the hymn, What, what a Friend We Have in Jesus. Again, how, how He cares for us. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and grief to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do your friends despise, forsake you? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In His arms, He'll take and shield you. You will find a solace there. That hymn captures it so well. Jesus is our friend who bids us to come and we come to Him with anything. Whatever comes upon us, we're to bring it to the Lord in prayer. Right? Whatever difficulties or trials, temptations or friends, despising and forsaken, whatever, just bring it to our friend Jesus who will gladly bear our burdens for us. As one commentator said, there's nothing too great for God's power and there's nothing too small for His fatherly care. Again, 1 Peter 5.7 Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. God cares for us. So we, we just Here's our anxiety. God, take it. God is one that we can dump on, if you will. We can just dump our cares upon the Lord. And He's ready and willing to help us. We simply need to let Him know. Isn't that what verse 6 says? Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. What a strange way to say that. Just let it be known. It's not that God doesn't know your needs. Again, Psalm 139. God says, says that God is intimately acquainted with all your ways. God knows you better than your closest friend, your children, your spouse, even in many ways yourself because He understands deep into your heart. Jeremiah 17, someone mentioned that earlier. He looks inside your deceitful heart. He even knows that. He is intimately acquainted with all our ways. It's not like He doesn't know anything. But God says here, make it known to God. Jesus said that God has numbered your very hairs of your head. Some of you more difficult than others, but He knows all the hairs on your head and numbered them for all of us. He knows intimately about all of us. He cares for us. But He just wants us to make them known to God. It's not that God needs to know our anxious thoughts and He wants for us to come to Him. He wants for us, here it is, to acknowledge our need for the Lord. I think that's why we need to make them known to Him because in making our, our worries and our anxieties known to God, they really then become known to us and we admit, we say, God, this is too big for me. I can't handle it. 
I don't want to handle it. I don't want to worry. God, here it is. And another way of saying that, making requests to God, is, is prayer. Verse 6 is covered with terms for prayer. In fact, I find three of them. There's this word prayer. There's the word supplication. There's this word requests. These words are essentially synonyms. There's not much difference between them. They all describe saying or bringing some kind of request to God, whether it's vocally or whether it's just in your mind, whether it's writing something down, just, just kind of a communication between you and God, just giving it to God. In fact, there's so much synonyms that we could, we could jumble this verse without any difference in meaning. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by requests and supplications with thanksgiving, pray to God. Or we can say it this way, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by your requests and prayers with thanksgiving, make supplication to God. These terms are like, like all, all interchangeable, but one of the characteristics of all these is that they're all specific. They're not just general blessings. It's not just vague religiosity. They're specific, describing specific requests. Specific requests that come out of our particular activity of any day that comes, circumstances that come upon our life that brings anxiety. And so this verse simply says this. When specific needs come upon us, make those specific requests into the Lord and make them known as particular as you can and give your burdens to the Lord and let them go. In other words, we have to be praying without ceasing. We have to just constantly, as, as things are coming up that would make us be anxious sinfully about things, just give it to the Lord. In fact, I would encourage all of you, when you, when you sense this in your life and you say, oh, here's a, here's a sinful anxiety that I have in my life, use it like a trigger or maybe a button, right? Something goes, you, know, you hit that and, and your alarm sounds, goes, woo, 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 okay, here, that's wrong. Just take that and just make that known to the Lord. This week, as most weeks in my life, I had anxieties. I'm not above this in, in any way. I, so I was meditating on this passage. I just thought about this. Okay, anytime I'm anxious for anything, let me just, let me just pray to the Lord. I had a particularly difficult meeting this week. And in the midst of that meeting, just before that meeting, kind of the day leading up to it, I knew that meeting was coming that night. And I said, hmm, just God, I'll give it to you. Anytime I thought, I just, just, I just said, anytime I thought of that meeting, I said, God, it's, that's yours. I don't want to worry about that. It's yours. And I, I probably... Prayed 50 times for that meeting because it just kept coming up and coming up and coming up. But every time it came up, I saw it. I mean, you know how good you can do this. You, you try, whatever. But I just saw it every time. Just, just give it to the Lord. And I, I believe I, I relieved some measure of relief from this. But, but here's the thing that struck me. I, that's not my normal habit of way of thinking. It's, I think about battling anxiety. That, that, that's not just a strategy that's in my mind all the time. It's kind of a new strategy for me this week because I, I thought it shouldn't be. But I don't naturally think, oh, I'm worrying. I should pray and let God know that and then let it go. No, I, I don't do that. But based upon this text, I should. That's what we all should do. And I would encourage all of you along the same path. Whenever there's an anxious thought that comes into your mind, I want you to think this. Bing, 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 bing. Anxious thought, anxious thought. And that shouldn't reside there. You should just take that anxious thought and just give it to the Lord. Say, God, you call me to pray when I'm anxious. And so, God, I'm praying because I'm anxious over this. Here it is. 
And whenever thoughts of your mind come comes in your mind about insecurities that you might have, you just God, they're yours. And whenever thoughts come in your mind about uncertainties of the future, as Jay Adams said, you can't do anything about it. You don't even know. You don't even know if it's going to turn out that way. You just you just give it to God. And when you're sleepless at night, because all the things whirling in your head, just just give it to God. I know my wife has when she has problems with that, she just writes them out. And that way they're they're gone. She can deal with them as appropriately later, but it's kind of it's kind of like a prayer to God. Just these are my these are my anxious thoughts, God. They're they're yours. Or when facing any difficulty or, or trouble or, or trial, and pray when anticipating some some type of difficult meeting or some situation you confront. Then pray when you're worried about your finances. Pray when you're worried about the future of, of your children or of your parents. Just pray when you have anxieties about security of employment. Well, just pray, and just whenever those come into mind, you just. Just give them to the Lord. Now, that, that doesn't mean we totally do inaction and do nothing. No, there, there may be some steps you have to take. Maybe you've got some big project at work that you've got to work on and maybe you're anxious about it. Well, confess to God. Just say, you know what? This is bigger than me. I'm thinking about it too much. Help me to sort, sort through what I need to be thinking on to solve this problem and what is sinful worry and anxiety. Just, just give it all to God and plan and think and do what you need to do for this. But here's what it is. I think in giving all those things to God, what are you doing? You're acknowledging your dependence upon the Lord, which is what prayers and supplications and making requests are. Now, there's one other point here in verse 6 we haven't addressed yet. It's the attitude of how we pray. It is this word, with thanksgiving. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Here it is. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So I studied this passage this week. I asked myself on a couple of occasions, why is with thanksgiving in the passage? I mean, why, why, does, why does he mention thanks here? And, and so one thing I said, well, what if, what if it's taken out of the verse? What would it say? And so why would Paul feel the need to include it in the verse? So if we take it out, it sounds like this. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. I'm not sure if you saw a difference. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. Well, I think it's subtle, but I do think it makes a big difference. Without thanksgiving, it seems to be more mechanical. Like, like when you're anxious, tell God and He'll solve your problem. But with thanksgiving, I think the attitude seems to be more along the lines of submission. Submission to God's will. I'm anxious, God. I'm letting you know. What's happening? But I'm doing so with a spirit of thanksgiving. Thank you for these things coming into my life. Thank you for the way that you're going to deal with. Thank you for being Lord of my life. And here it is. I think there's a... Do you see it? It's kind of a, an attitude of, of submission. When you come with thanksgiving, you come and thank God whether He changes your circumstances or not. In fact, when you come with thanksgiving, the focus isn't on the answered prayer. When you come without thanksgiving, it's almost like, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be known to God. Like, okay, here are your requests, God. Fix it for me right now. But with thanksgiving, it's, it's off even the answer. In fact, I think in this passage, the focus is not on answered prayer. I don't think the focus is this. Oh, I'm... I'm worried about my finances next month. And here, here, God, you know, you give it to God and God's going to shower money upon you. I don't think that's it. I don't even think it's God necessarily solving your problems. Just saying, here, God, here's my financial problem coming in the future. 
And what does God do? What's the promise? My third point. Remember the promise. What does He say? The peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The promise here is that God's going to bring peace into your life. His peace is going to guard your hearts and your minds. In other words, Paul is not saying at all your circumstances are going to change when you offer your prayers and petitions to God. Circumstances might not. But what does he do promise? He does promise an internal change in your heart. He does promise for care in your heart and your mind, the very realm where anxiety germinates. And so as you continue to pass that up to the Lord, He'll give you peace. And as you, that, that peace isn't enough, maybe He'll give you more peace. You just, he'll just continue to, if you continue to give it to the Lord, He'll continue to give you peace in your trials and circumstances. And I think that that attitude of thanksgiving is everything. One commentator said this, Prayer without thanksgiving is like a bird without wings. Such a prayer cannot rise to heaven and can find no acceptance with God. See, as, as soon as we, we take the posture of God that we are over God and we're demanding, God doesn't answer those prayers. But when we come in submission, God delights too. Okay, so let's think about this process. Okay, because this is really important. Something comes into your life, causing you anxiety. You see it. Your alarm goes off. Your button, your button is sounded. You, you sound your trigger. You make that known to the Lord in a matter of prayer with Thanksgiving to the Lord, and God gives you then peace of mind. And when you have peace of mind, what happens? Anxiety disappears. And then when that anxious thought comes up again, right? You take notes. Says, "Okay, I'm anxious again." It triggers this thought, this button, this chain of sequence and events, and you say, "Okay, God, I'm I'm thankful to you for all you've done." And you give that to the Lord, and He gives you peace of mind. According to the promise of verse 7, the anxiety has gone. And then it comes up again. And, it and you may have to do this a hundred times. Maybe hundreds of times. But this is how to battle anxiety. Every time it comes in, to take it to the Lord. J.C. Ryle said of this strategy, this was the practice of all the saints whose history we have recorded in the Scriptures. This is what Jacob did when he feared his brother Esau. Remember when he, when he left and Esau is coming? What did he do? He, he wrestled with the Lord in prayer all night. This is what Moses did when the people were ready to stone him in the wilderness, pleading with God. You can read about it, Exodus chapter 33, 34. This is what Joshua did when Israel was defeated before the man of Ai. They were self-confident. They went out there defeated. And so what does Joshua do? He, he prays to the Lord and seeks Him. This is what David did when he was in danger in Keilah. This is what Hezekiah did when he received the letter from Sennacherib. This is what the church did when Peter was put in prison. This is what Paul did when he was cast into the dungeon in Philippi. Just always, you see, you see people in the Bible, godly people in the Bible, just taking their cares and concerns and giving them to God. And many times, like I just even take Paul in, in Philippians. How many, is he anxious? As he writes this letter, is he an anxious man? He's not. He, he's on the brink, perhaps, of death. As this Roman judgment comes either for him or against him. He doesn't know how it's going to turn. But he doesn't have any worry. He doesn't have any bitterness. He doesn't have any regret. Instead, he's thankful. Chapter 1, verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Even when other people are against him, out there trying to preach, causing him distress, he says, as long as Christ is proclaimed. He, he's like not a care in the world. Though, he might be burdened with that. 
Why? I think because he's following his own counsel. He's just giving it to the Lord. And, and the Psalms are filled with his heart. I mean, you read the Psalms for the heart of people of God and you see that. Uh, I've got a bunch of them here. I'll just read a few. Psalm 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustains me. The only time you can sleep is when you have a peace of mind. Psalm 4, you have relieved me in my distress. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me to dwell in safety. Psalm 7, 1, O Lord, my God, in you I have taken refuge. The picture just, I'm I'm in your care, God. Psalm 11, 1, 1, verse 1, in the Lord I take refuge. Why is Psalm 23 so helpful to us? It's because it talks about the same thing. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I'm just giving these things to you. You're with me. The Lord is my strength and shield, Psalm 28. My heart trusts in Him and I am helped. Psalm 37, verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers. Verse 5. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He will do it. Psalm 55, verse 28, cast, 22, cast all your burdens upon the Lord and He will sustain you. We, we go on and on. Just the Psalms speak about that. Just casting everything. God, you're my refuge. I'm just putting things in your hands. And that's the pattern who've come before us. In their trouble, they cried to the Lord and He answered them. And the answer comes here in verse 7 about His peace coming and settling in our hearts and in our minds. And the peace is coming right where anxiety germinates in our hearts and our minds. We want to battle anxiety. Well, be prayerful and remember the promise, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So just think about guarding. Think about military. Think about security. That's what's happening here. Is that God's peace comes into our heart and somehow sets up this guard around our heart to protect us from wrong thinking when we just give it to the Lord in prayer. And some of this we may not really understand. I mean, as he even says here, that the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there's this way this peace can come and maybe you don't understand it. Maybe people on the outside don't understand it. Have you ever heard... You know, testimonies of people in their dying days. You come in and, and they're happy. It's like, how can that be? Well, because I have this peace from God. And some people don't understand. Or sometimes it may be even this. You know, I should really be worried about what's happening tomorrow. But I've given it to the Lord. Jesus says, don't be worried about tomorrow. And I have this peace. And you say, how, how did that happen? I, I don't know. I just have this peace about about what's happening. There's, there's this way which you can't quite you know, understand. It might pass... All comprehension. Or it might even be the idea about uh, Ephesians 3. Remember Ephesians 3, verse 19 and 20, where, where Paul speaks about praying to God. And he says, And not to Him who is able to do abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works into us. Maybe, maybe the peace of God, when you actually do give your, your cares and anxieties to God, maybe the peace of God comes in so awesomely and so overwhelmingly that you can't even comprehend how overwhelmingly it has come into your hearts. 
Think about also some of the effects of this as you follow this. All those physical traits I mentioned at the beginning of my message, they go away. I mean, you think about it. If anxiety causes you know, dizziness and, and dry mouth and fatigue and fast heartbeat and headaches and irritability and muscle aches and muscle tension and nausea and nervous energy and rapid breathing and digestive disorders and maybe heart attacks, if anxiety causes that, when God's peace enters, anxiety goes away, what about those other causes, those other effects, symptoms? They may well go away as well. But you've but you got to see that it comes through prayer. And, and I'll pray. I just, just talk to the Lord. But I, I would say this. It's prayer and anxiety cannot mutually coexist in the heart. You either have one or the other. If anxiety is present, prayer is not. And if prayer is present, the promise of verse 7 is this. The peace of God will come. Anxiety will go. Now, now I, I know enough to, to know that this isn't all mathematical and all scientific. And you can pray and pray and pray and you still have anxiety in your heart. Well, just at those moments, thank the Lord for the gospel. Thank the Lord that He's revealed Himself. And you just say, God, this sin is like way too much for me. I'm praying to you, but it's still here. God, please... Help me. I thank you that you've helped me. My sins forgiven me in Christ. You've brought me into your kingdom. I, I am your child and your son, but I am, I am struggling, O oh Lord. And just wrestle with the Lord in prayer. Well, I, I close with one illustration from history. It takes us back to the 1650s when a, a man named Bolstrode Whitlock was uh, part of Oliver Cromwell's envoy to Sweden. And he... He was basically an envoy, say Secretary of State, if you will, and he's he's going to Sweden. And Britain at that time had gone through a civil war. They'd executed his own king. The governors odds with each other. The religious turmoil, con- conflicts between the Presbyterians and the Independents and the Puritans. And, and it was difficult enough to figure out where the the country was going, let alone go to Sweden and and represent England to Sweden. And at the night before he went, as the story goes, he was unable to sleep and he was, he was walking back and forth and just thinking about this meeting he's going to have or these meetings just trying to establish diplomatic relations. And, and then a young, humble servant said, Pray, sir, can I ask you a question? And uh, this envoy said, Certainly. Pray, sir, do you think that God governed the world very well before you came into it? He said, uh, Undoubtedly. And pray, sir, do you not think that he will govern it quite as well when you are gone out of it? And he said, well, certainly. Well, then pray, excuse me, sir, but do you not think that you may trust him to govern it quite as well as long as you live? And it left the ambassador speechless. He headed for bed and was soon fast asleep. As he realized, you know, I just need to give this to God. God has governed well before me. He will govern well after me. He certainly can govern well now. Kind of maybe puts a big perspective on, on your anxieties. That God is, God is in control. And as some of those verses say that we looked at this morning earlier, He's got a plan for us. He's got good for hope. He's a prophet. 
God causes all things to work together for good. There's nothing that's going to penetrate His barrier that He doesn't allow it to come into our lives. Well, I think it's appropriate at this point to pray and just examine our hearts. I've mentioned Psalm 139 already a few times. just want to read a, a few verses from Psalm 139. Because the psalm begins with a, a request. It says, O oh Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, You know it all. You even close me behind and before You lay Your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Where can I go from Your Spirit? Where can I flee from Your presence? If I send to heaven, You are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, You are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, from the east to the west, even there Your hand will lead me and Your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely darkness has overwhelmed me and the light around me becometh night, even darkness is not dark to You and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are like to You. So just where your heads are bowed, just realize you're coming before the, the King and the Sovereign Lord, Ruler, Omnipotent of the universe who formed you and shaped you and fashioned you in your mother's womb, who determined your days when as yet there was not even one of them. And He's one who cares for you through Christ. But God demonstrates His own love towards us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us when we were sinners. It was because of His great mercy with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, that He made us alive together with Christ by grace through faith. And David knew that. And knowing that then, he said this, and this is the prayer I want you to pray even right now. Search me, O God. It's the end of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thought. And see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Just have you even now pray that God reveal your anxious heart. That as it's revealed, you just say, God, yep, I'm anxious there. I worry here. I'm anxious there. That you might give that to the Lord. The only person who can say, search me like this, is one who knows he's been forgiven as David did. Knew he was in right relationship with the Lord. And if you're in right relationship with the Lord, you too can just plead God's grace through Jesus Christ, as verse 9 ends, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's in Jesus that our anxious thoughts are guarded. And so, Lord, right now, I pray that You would stir those anxious thoughts to bring them to the surface that they might be confessed and brought to You and and made known to You as You call us to do here in verse 6. Of Philippians 4. Lord, that we would not be an anxious people, nervous at any change that comes our way, but may we be settled and trusted in You. God, we all have plenty of worries that come our way, whether it's with children or with our, our finances or with our future. 
God, everyone's, everyone's life is different. So I think about people in this room. Circumstances are so different. Yet, God, I thank you that you are so above us that you can hear all of our prayers. And I pray that we would, we would heed the counsel here today. Let's not be anxious, but when our anxiety comes, pray to you. And God, may you be true to your part of the bargain as well. May your peace come in and, and swell in our hearts and our minds and so overwhelm us. God, that we can do nothing but rejoice always. Because we can rejoice in the Lord always. God, so I pray that you would work your work. Help us, God, to overcome this common sin of anxiety. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.